absolutely you can make a really positive impact and have sustainable slash profitable organization. You just need to know really clearly in what what order yeah. you're going to get things done. And when push comes to shove, what will you prioritize and why? And what will that mean for how fast you can grow, how, how profitable you can be or even want to be? Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of A Still Being Molly. And the show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, the companies, and the small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I get to sit down with an incredible entrepreneur, CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, activist, author, speaker, or just an incredible person who is trying to use their one God-given life to make an impact in the world, not only through their personal life, but also with their career, with their vocational pursuits. I love getting to have these conversations because it helps me to show you, the listener, that no matter where you are, you can make an impact. My guest this week is Jessica Jackley. Jessica is an entrepreneur, investor, professor, speaker who has spent her career focused on social justice in an effort to find meaningful ways to inspire her own children's curiosity, empathy, and passion for social and environmental impact. She most recently founded Altruists, an at-home, kid-friendly volunteer project box for families. She's also best known as the co-founder of Kiva, the world's first crowdfunding site for microenterprises, which has facilitated nearly $2 billion in loans worldwide. Jessica recently served as Walt Disney Imagineering's first entrepreneur in residence and serves on several nonprofit boards. Jessica is an inspiration to me. I have followed her work since she was with Kiva and have talked about Kiva a lot on this show. So getting the chance to sit down and hear her story was an incredible honor. And I absolutely love what she has done with altruists, especially as a mom to young children myself. I am always looking for ways to facilitate conversations around altruistic endeavors with my kids and getting my kids serving and volunteering. This was such a fun conversation. Jessica just really is such an inspiration to me. And I know that you're going to love this episode. So without further ado, on to my conversation with Jessica Jackley. Jessica, I am pumped to have you. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Yes, this is I am just so excited because one, I love what you're doing with altruists, but also I personally have been a huge fan. I know that I don't know that you're if you're involved still in the day to day stuff, but I followed you with your work at Kiva. And so like to know to get the chance to just talk with you is really exciting for me. So uh, so let's go give us the Jessica 101. So who you are, what you do and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, yeah, we'll do we'll do reverse chronological. How's that? I am a I'm founder and CEO of Altruists. We make volunteer activities and learning materials for kids and families. And it, they arrive at your door in a box. So you can do them anytime, anywhere, you know, in your living room when it's raining outside. Um, we really want to make it possible for more people to give, not just with their wallets, but with their whole selves, their time, their talents, et cetera. So that's what I'm doing. It's my day to day. I'm also, even more importantly, a mom of four. I have 10-year-old twins, a seven-year-old, and a little just-turned-two-year-old. I can't even talk about it. I'll start crying because she's growing up so fast. Um, and my my husband and I just like were blissed out loving those kiddos. Uh, continuing to go back in time, yes, we can. I've, I've done a, a number of different entrepreneurial adventures, um, investing mostly in 
organizations that champion either, you know, I think something good with every single one of them, whether it's cultural change that feels important or behavioral changes or um, championing the sharing economy or collaborative consumption. That's tried to be what I, I've I've tried to focus on that uh, with my involvement in startups and then keep rewinding a lot of fun other little pieces. I wrote a book called Claywater Brick. I teach at USC, a class on entrepreneurial solutions to the global goals. And before that, I did a number of different other startups, mostly related to crowdfunding, the very first of which was, as you said, Kiva. And so Kiva lets anybody lend money at 0% interest to them um, to another human being on the planet that is in need of some support for their own entrepreneurial activities. And over time, this little social experiment that began with, you know, a few friends and a few thousand dollars has grown really rapidly. So the first year we facilitated, well, the first pilot round of loans was like 3000 bucks to seven entrepreneurs in Uganda. And then the next year, the first real year we existed, we did about 500,000 in loans and these like $25 bits, person to person, 0% interest <laughs> to those lenders. The next year was 15 million, the next 40, the next hundred something. And it's closing in on 2 billion, which is a, a number I don't even know how to think about, but wow been a wonderful machine in the world for, I think, opportunity creation or a cat, cattle, it's a catalyst for opportunity and for empowerment and for really like at its most touchy-feely encouragement um, of each other. When we have a little bit of extra, there's a place to share it and get it back and um, allow, allow everybody the opportunity to build something that can support themselves and their families. So that. I've never done my bio in reverse. I probably skipped a bunch, but there, there's there's some of the highlights. I, I I love it. I've never also heard a bio in reverse and I love it. I'm here for it. There should be more <laughs> bios in reverse. Um, so you obviously have between your work at Kiva, your current work uh, at Altruist, your, your book, uh, I mean, just so many things that you do. I mean, your class you teach at, U- at USC. I live in Carolina, so, you know, I immediately go to UNC. That's like what yes, I, yes, I hear you. What I, I almost you. said. Um, so with all of those things, sure. You know, have a a very uh large, you know, focus on social justice and um, you know, equity and uh, you know, social entrepreneurship and uh, you know, kind of this purpose uh impact based uh focused where did that stem from? Like what really ignited that as a passion in you? Was this something that you just always kind of had in, you know, as a fire inside you, even like growing up? Was this something that kind of you were awakened to at a particular time? Where did it, where did it stem from? I think my, I think my answer is yes to both of the last two suggestions. So yes, there were some seeds planted very, very early on. I felt really called to try to be helpful in the world. I knew that I was blessed. I knew that I had been given everything I need, I needed and wanted really. So I felt pretty clear on the reality that my job was to wake up every day, be grateful for my life and go try to be a giver. Right. Yeah. So I had these pretty simple childlike ideas when I was a child appropriately. So right. About what that could look like. And then I, I tried to learn and study things that I thought would help me clarify what that would be, what my purpose would be. You know, I I can laugh about it now and spoiler, I changed my tune over time, but in the very earliest sort of years where I was trying to figure out what my mission was, what was I supposed to be about? How was I supposed to help exactly? I really thought, I looked at the world and I thought, well, business is about taking, it's about selling people crap they don't need and tricking them into giving their money. 
to the businesses, <laughs> but nonprofits, those, the, so business was the takers, nonprofits were the givers. And that was as, again, it's a, it's a ridiculous sort of polarization. It's not, it's not reality, but that's how I saw the world in pretty simple terms for a while. And so I thought, well, I'll study things that I love and that are beautiful, like philosophy and poetry and that sort of thing. And then, sorry for my creaky chair. I apologize. I'll sit no, still. <laughs> um, you know, and so I'll, I'll try to figure out how to go throw myself into the mix with a great nonprofit. So that was what I thought my goal would be at leaving college. I ended up getting a temp job. I ended up working, you know, gasp in the Stanford Graduate School of Business as a temp. <laughs> and I thought um, as a temp administrative assistant. And I, I honestly felt like I was going into the lion's den every day. I was so scared that it would, I don't know, that it might be corrupted because I was around all these people who were thinking <laughs> about business. And there I was, I learned very, very quickly. I happened to land in a place called the Center for Social Innovation at mm. Stanford Business School. And I thought, I'll see what this is about. And within you know days, weeks, I thought, okay, here are my people. They're thinking about changing the world in really beautiful ways. And they want to make an impact and they care about a lot of, a lot of people care very deeply about the same things I do. Their tactic, their strategy is to use business skills and entrepreneurial thinking. And it sort of clicked for me. Like it's not, (laughs) there are businesses that are good. There are businesses that are evil. There are nonprofits that are incredibly impactful. There are nonprofits that are wasting resources and very much just propping up, you know, they're they're sort of vanity projects for founders or something. There's all sorts of in between. Mm -hmm. So the goal for me became learn the skills, understand these principles, understand these strategies, figure out how to move people, resources, et cetera, like get smart about it and then go build something beautiful, go build something that actually could ideally cause or encourage those kinds of changes that I wanted to see happen in the world. So you asked, where did this all come from? I feel like it, it began as this very simple experience of being well-loved, feeling connected to God feeling connected to um, things that were bigger than me and wanting to make a life out of trying to show up and be really useful to this world that felt very safe and loving and good, but yet still had things that needed to be fixed. So that I got smarter and better about that over time, or at least I'd like, I'd like to believe that I did. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I don't think what you, what you shared where you talked about how like you, you had this mindset for a long time that business was bad and business like business owners were greedy and you know all this kind of stuff. Like that's not an uncommon thing. And it's, it's interesting. I feel like I've seen things kind of go in waves. I, I see it where it's like, oh, business is, is, is bad. And uh, business owners are evil and only support nonprofits. And then people then start to go, oh, actually, maybe business isn't so bad. And like it kind of then goes. And then now we're kind of getting back to a business is bad. <laughs> so it's like it's it, it's almost as though it ebbs and flows. And I feel like you know, I understand where those misconceptions come from. But you know, I mean, one of the reasons I started this podcast was to hopefully, you know, bust some of those myths or misconceptions was to let's actually talk about how you can be a for profit company and actually you know, really be innovative and uh, impactful and I'm not saying that nonprofits are bad, but um, I don't remember who said this and I'm sure somebody will email me and tell me, but it was a guest I'd had on at one point who was just talking about, you know, a lot of times nonprofits get into a mindset of, well, we are 
not for profit. And so I, we don't need to innovate. We don't need to think like a business because we're not focused on profit margins and things like that. And so they can get stagnant in the nonprofit world. Whereas businesses, especially as we've seen in the last couple of years, businesses are forced to innovate. They're forced to pivot. They're forced to think about, you know, how can we make sure that we're not in the red constantly, (laughs) things like that. And, but then also when you have a mindset or a foundation, um, that is, that is focused on something that is bigger than yourself and bigger than, you know, just writing a paycheck and you're thinking about the, what does the impact that this business have, um, on the world? What, how, how can we be giving back some of our profits? How can we be paying people fairly, paying people a a living wage? You know, how can we do all these different things that maybe other businesses aren't doing in order to create an impact? So I, you know, I say all that because I think what you were were sharing, like, uh, you're not the only one out there that has felt that way. And, um, you know, and sometimes it can be a little frustrating from the perspective of even though I'm, you know, I'm a business owner, but I'm, I'm just me, I don't sell like a physical product, you know, but it can, I know for so many of my um, just friends who are kind of in the entrepreneurial space, so they can talk about how sometimes they're just like, people just don't get it. You know what I mean? And they feel like yeah. they're banging their I mean, head I, against a wall. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm agnostic at this point. They're organized as to for-profit, nonprofit, their organizational structures. Yes, there are pros and cons, strengths and weaknesses to each, depending on what your goals are. There are incentives that are more easily aligned in different structures than others. Right. But the way I talk to my students about it is I believe. Um, it's funny. I love, he's a friend. I, I feel lucky to know him, but Simon Sinek talks about start with why I like to propose start with who, when I'm talking to, again, students or aspiring entrepreneurs, who is the person, who are the people you want to serve? Mm. What is it that you want to offer them? That's a value to their lives. Can they, how do you, how do you fund that? Can they pay for it? Cool. If so easy out, sorry to say business, it's a, it's a it could be a for-profit yeah. business. If you'd like, they can actually be both the buyers and the recipients of the good that you're putting out there into the world. Cool. Let's take shoes, right? You you're making shoes. They, they can afford to buy them. Amazing. They buy them. You know, it's working because they are willing to part with money for the thing that you made. And that is your loop. That is your market. It's actually quite simple, straightforward. Right. Nonprofits, I think are so much more intellectually challenging and it's because when you, let's say it's shoes again, just to keep the analogy going, let's say you want to serve people who do not, are not able to afford to buy those shoes that you're making. Well, what do you do? You need to make a great product for them that meets their needs. That's valuable to them. You also need to find a funder because they are not both the buyer and the recipient. They're just the recipient. Right. You need to, and on one hand, keep really open channels. So you do get good feedback and you make a good product because they can't just vote with their own dollars. So if anyone ever does see this video that we're taking, so the the market, right, this nice closed loop is busted open. You have recipient on one end and you have buyer on the other end and the buyer is the donor. So you have to do a really good and honest and authentic job telling the story of the value you're creating for the recipient to the buyer, so to speak. They have to understand it. They have to get it. And they have to believe enough in the value to be able to fund it for somebody else to have. So businesses are easier, quite frankly, in terms of understanding what's working and what's not. Um, in my opinion, nonprofits, again, it's just a different structure. And sometimes it's easier and faster and better to choose that structure over a for-profit because maybe there, it's a lot easier for you to go get that donor funding to get the thing done that you want to get done. Maybe, maybe like Kivik, I believe, um, 
certainly has been sustainable in the past and could be, I'm not there day to day. So I speak only as a, a fond, you know, um, reminiscing sort of founder voice, not a current staff person there to be very, very clear. But, you know, the organization couldn't have been profitable at the very beginning and profitable is the business word for sustainable. <laughs> it's right. the same thing. Yeah. It's just, do the profits go in my pocket or do they go back to the organization as a rule? But at the time, it was certainly the better way to go to receive donor dollars to build that. But today there's all sorts of levers, all sorts of volume to work with. You know, just because an organization is a nonprofit doesn't mean it can't be sustainable, aka profitable, et cetera. So I have a lot lot of thoughts on that, Yeah, (laughs) what you just said. But basically the main, what I care about most is the heart, is the intention, is the true actual when push, push comes to shove, like what are your goals and in what order of priority are those goals? So absolutely you can make a really positive impact and have sustainable slash profitable organization. You just need to know really clearly in what what order yeah. you're going to get things done. And when push comes to shove, what will you prioritize and why? And what will that mean for how fast you can grow, how how profitable you can be or even want to be, right? right. Um, so tax code, not a religion. You can do good in either space. I really believe that the most good comes from those answers to those first few questions. Yes, it's great to pay your employees. Well, everyone, that's what we should all do. Whatever your organization is, you can make a great living as a nonprofit professional. You can make a great living as a person working for a business. All those things are great. But what what, what are you putting out into the world Mm -hmm. in and of itself? Not as a means to another end, but like, what are you putting out into the world? Is it valuable? And in what ways is it valuable to the people? that receive that and that it affects along the way, whether we're talking supply chains or anything else. Okay. That was a long answer. And I didn't know if it was a question. I just no, talked. I, no, I go. loved it. I loved it. And I agree 1 million percent with everything that you said. Yeah. Um, it, it really does just go back to uh, your purpose, your mission and the heart behind what you're doing and, yeah. and what avenue you choose to do that. But, you know, I think it's important to talk about those different distinctions and 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 talk about why we why we make these choices as both an entrepreneur and as a consumer when you're, you know, choosing businesses to support with your dollars or, um, mm-hmm. you know, nonprofits to support with your donations and and things like that. So this kind of leads me and I want to briefly kind of touch on Kiva before we get into uh, really all you're doing with altruists, which, you know, as a, a mom to young children myself, I'm really excited about. But like I'd mentioned, you know, I I followed your work with Kiva and I just it's one of those things that I have referenced I mean, dozens and dozens and dozens of times over the years because it was such an innovative thing when it first kind of came on the market. So I would love for you to just kind of briefly talk about like what the inspiration for Kiva was and at what point were you kind of sitting down going, you know what, I like, I see this as a need. I see this as a a problem. And what if we did this to solve that problem, to to fill that need? Yeah. So... I was out of college. I had I had done that admin temp job at Stanford. I realized business might not all be necessarily bad and evil and terrible. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. Um, <laughs> and I I stayed late after work one day because this guy was. It was the gosh. It was in two thousand and three. Is that right? Yeah. Is that right? That's right. Anyway, um, this guy named Muhammad Yunus came to campus and was going to give this a lecture. And this was three years before he and his Grumman Bank would win the Nobel Peace Prize wow. <laughs> like for their pioneering, pioneering work in modern microfinance. 
but I stayed late, like sat in the back of the class. I thought it might be lame. And I thought it was sketchy. Like who was this guy, banker to the poor? I was, I was, <laughs> I was definitely going in like with my eyebrow raised, but yeah. I heard his story. It was this like a beautiful aha moment for me because I learned about microfinance. Specifically, I learned about microloans, a little bit of capital in the right hands at the right time, often with the right training can be incredibly empowering and survival sort of business activities can become sustainable business activities that can lead to a sustainable livelihood for a family and um, allow for a person to lift themselves out of poverty. So I learned about microfinance. Wow. Amazing newsflash, right? I also learned about how he started his journey. And it was incredibly inspiring to me. I, I heard how he described sitting down with people that he wanted to serve and listening very carefully to their stories. And at the time he, you know, he heard things that now seem matter, like seem not obvious, but sort of like, well, of course, yeah, that makes sense. But he heard that they, this group of women who were weaving baskets were basically, you know, taking loans from money lenders that were very abusive to yeah. them, charging them 300 to 3000%. I mean, crazy, crazy, crazy interest rates. And so he more or less was like, well, what if I lend you the few dollars that you need to get the job done? And it was, you know, the rest is sort of magical microfinance, microcredit history, not perfect, but it's beautiful, right? He loaned money to individuals that had no collateral, no history, no track record, nothing like that, but who he believed would make it work. And of course they did. Repayment rates in microfinance are incredibly high. On Kiva, they've been upwards of like 98% over you know, historically, which is better than a lot of institutions yeah. <laughs> we all are probably a part of. Um, anyway, one, that night, back, back to that moment, I learned about microfinance. Two, I learned about the power of listening very carefully to the people that you want to serve mm. and keeping your, your ears open for um, things that surprise you or that seem off or the insights, right? Right. And believing enough in your own uh, ability to observe and listen that you might suggest things could change, right? So that was just an incredibly powerful story about the way he began. It wasn't, I raised a bunch of capital and then I went out and started this. He just <laughs> sat and listened to people. Yeah. And I thought even I, this philosophy poetry student, <laughs> recent, freshly out of undergrad might be able to listen carefully to people. Yeah. And then third, and this was amazing. He talked about poverty and, and people. I, I was going to say the poor. I, I'm really trying not to say that anymore. I mean, nobody likes to be called poor and it's not a, I don't like it. Um, but he listened to people and talked about people who had very different circumstances than I had ever grown up with different socioeconomic circumstances we're living in abject poverty and he bet on them as like as entrepreneurs and as business people. And it changed the potential, the identity of a whole group of people that I had been told vaguely about through well-intentioned nonprofits, um, you know, through infomercials or through like, again, with great intention, um, marketing materials or brochures or whatever pitches from nonprofits or church groups saying, come swoop in and be the savior and help people who need you to fix things so that they can be okay. And I heard, no, 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 this is about access to capital. They don't have access. You have all your life. It's fair. <laughs> it's more equitable for them to have access. Let's create ways to make that happen. And it just changed. It unlocked for me um, a lot of years of sort of this, a wall that had built up because I wanted deeply to be helpful. I wanted to have connection with other human beings. I didn't want to have a transaction like the one I'd been offered again and again by nonprofits saying what all we really need from you is to put your change in the jar and to donate money. And then we'll take care of the rest. I wanted 
I wanted to know the people that mm. I d- desired deeply to be useful to. And so I quit my job. I mean, it was such a powerful talk that he gave and, and set of ideas that he put out there for me. It made, it led me to quit my job. I kind of threw myself into an unpaid internship in East Africa. And that's where ideas for Kiva started brewing. What if these individuals who I was working with, who had received $100, not even of a loan, but of a grant, goat herders, seamstresses, you know, small restaurant owners, or people that had a kiosk and served like beans and rice at lunchtime, people who were doing very simple, small activities, tailors, seamstresses, whatever. Um, I started to ask along with my co-founder, Matt, like, what if we stayed in touch? What if we could work together with friends and family? None of us have a giant amount of money, but together we can pool it together and it would be enough to provide loan funding for individuals that need it as their next step. I mean, we weren't even using the word crowdfunding back then. It was a long time ago, um, 2004 and five and six. Those were the beginning what ifs of Kiva. And we put that online, we spanned friends and family and we were off to the races. I'm gonna take a quick break from my chat with Jessica to thank our partner of the show. And that is Mama Suds. After a long, cozy winter inside, it is spring, so it's time to bust open the windows, grab that Mama Suds germ cleaner, and get to cleaning. From the windows to the walls, to floors, upholstery, carpets, you name it, Mama Suds has a truly safe product that is not only safe, but also effective. And these products will help you get the job done. We personally have used Mama Suds in our home for years. I love their Castile soap. I love the all-purpose cleaner. I just, oh my gosh, I'm a fan of everything that they make. Everything that they make is safe and actually works. So head on over to mamasuds.com and use the code MOLLY for 15% off your order. Now, without further ado, back to my conversation with Jessica Jackley. I think it's incredible. And I love that you you took that spark um, and you really thought, okay, how can I actually do this in a really meaningful and sustainable way? Mm-hmm. Um, and to the fact that you're nearing the $2 billion mark, which I feel like I need to like say like Dr. Evil, put like Dr. my Evil, thank like, you. I appreciate it. <laughs> billion dollars. Um, I know. What would he do with that number? <laughs> I know. Um, it's just, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. So, um, but I really, really, really want to talk about um, altruist because this is kind of your new, newest venture. Yeah, um, it and it's just, uh, you know, as somebody who is trying to raise their children, you know, with an altruistic mindset, mm-hmm. um, with a mindset of serving and empathy and um, all those kinds of things, um, this is something that's very top of mind for me. So um, for people who are like, what are you talking about? Uh, tell us what it is, how it works, and then we'll go back to the how it all got started. Yeah, I love it. Well, I can even start with the how it got started, which is during COVID, right before, right before, I mean, February of 2020, I had our fourth little girl. Um, well, sorry, our fourth child. She is April. <laughs> and we have three boys before her. And you know, you are forced in a beautiful way during that fourth trimester to have your world become very slow and close to home and quieter and sweeter and, and just awesome. And, and as the world got crazy and we were all on lockdown anyway. It was sort of this amazing, you know, maternity leave with zero FOMO. Like nothing else was happening. I everyone, know. Was on, everyone was in the cave. <laughs> we just got to be in the cave with a brand new little baby. But it was a time of of reflection. And then as the months kept coming where we were living in our own little bubble, 
our interaction, so to speak, with the outside world was through stuff that got delivered to the doorstep. I mean, yes, we did like masked, terrified grocery runs and things like that. Um, and it's funny, I'm saying it sort of in a lighthearted way, but it's sort of still too soon because it was scary, right? I remember those early days were so scary, it's still scary. Um, but I remember feeling like, God, everything we're getting is just for us to consume. And I haven't gotten to go out into the world and volunteer with my kids, mm. which is a very big deal for our family. We're an interfaith family. It's one of the ways our values line up so beautifully so we can demonstrate together. It's not just interfaith talk or, you know, conversation, it's action. And that really matters to us. So we weren't, we weren't able to volunteer. And I thought, okay, let me take the ease of a subscription box, like a, you know, a a STEM kit or a craft kit or a new recipe box or whatever, all those sweet little things that we've been gifted over the years from wonderful friends and family that have brought cool new things and experiences to our kids' lives inside of our home. I thought, what if I could do that but mash it up with a really kick-ass volunteer experience where we get to reach back out in some way and do something useful. That is something I want. I want to be able to give back, not just with a donation, but with our hearts, with our hands, with you know something that my kids can do that's appropriate for them. I also, to be honest with you, there's this whole, it's not a side issue. It's actually very central to what we create, but there's a whole translation issue about like, gosh, how do you talk to your kids about unhoused person that you pass by on the street? How do you talk to them about food insecurity? How do you talk to them about refugee issues? How do you talk to them about war? How do you talk to them about scary stuff and not just get through the conversation, but end up inspired and then ready to actually do something? Because that's the most healing, amazing, I think, kind of response. Like we've learned, we understand, now let's take action. So that's what Altruist offers. We have learning materials, learning activities, And then the heart of the whole thing is an actual volunteer, you know, impact project. So we've um, every month you can sign up for a subscription. You can just come get one off boxes uh, for whatever issue is of the moment for your family. The boxes right now, they're actually we've worked with educators. They're really flexible in how you present them, whether your kid sits down and reads it on his or her own or you read the materials to them. The activities can be very simple or very sophisticated, depending on the uh, your child. But whether it's making a care kit for a new arrival, new, new, newly resettled refugee kiddo, like mm-hmm. uh, whether it's that where there's a friendship bracelet making process in there and you can do a very simple braids and knots, or you can do a really complex one, like old school, like we used to make, <laughs> um, or, you know, the, again, the, the activities are flexible, but basically there's an opportunity for kids to do something real and more often than not actually put it in a prepaid mailer and send it out to a real human being that will receive it. Mm. This wonderful gift of love and um, connection and something that'll be helpful in their lives. So we have a box on homelessness and unhoused populations. Kids make a keychain that is actually handed to a family with their very first house key on it when they're Mm. transitioning out of homelessness into a brand new house that our nonprofit Uh. partner in Mexico builds for them. So that's amazing. We've seen some like impact uh, footage and stuff of that happening recently, and it's just the greatest thing ever. So that's one example. Another is uh, it's a do better at home sort of impact project with saving the pollinators. Kids can turn their actual box and I'm looking around my office because I have clutter everywhere, but I have a bunch <laughs> of boxes. Um, but anyway, uh, they make their box into a pollinator hotel and learn about bees and the importance of pollinators. Um, I love that. Yeah, there's the care kit for for refugee kids. There's a clean water box where you sort of do an audit around your home and you say, where are all the places I can get clean water? How do I use that water? How can I use it more responsibly? And here's the water box. And every box becomes something. So this becomes this little like 
scene where you get to build little mini pipes down to the water table. It's they're so fun. That is so um, our most recent one is just like pure cuteness. It's helping shelter pets. So my sons, my three sons made cat toys and little dog like tug toys um, and then sent them off to little puppies and kittens at Austin Pets Alive, our nonprofit partner for that box. So there's so many beautiful issues and boxes and activities that, um, yeah, we're really proud to put out into the world. I think it's so, I just think it's so innovative. It's so creative. Just like, I mean, I feel like everything you have done has been innovative and creative and, uh, I, I just, I, I love it so much. And I, you have a big fan in me, um, as somebody who's just really cheering on the work that you do. And, um, I, we have bees here on our farm. So my six-year-old son, and my husband, I mean, I will be totally like honest. I'm real, actually really scared of bees. <laughs> I know they're okay. great and we need them. Personally, I need them to stay away. You don't want to snuggle them. I get I, it. I I get it. We, have, we have bees too. And I have one kid size bee suit and um, they tentatively opt-in with me, but yeah. (laughs) So my husband and my, and my six-year-old, yeah, we got my, my son, like a little kid's, uh, beekeeping suit. And it is the cutest thing on the planet. Like he looks like a tiny little astronaut, but then just like seeing him in his little bee suit, going to help my husband, you know, check on the bees. Uh, oh my gosh. I just think it's just absolutely adorable, but I, you know, I, I think it's just a great, you know, something like that is, is just teaching, kids about all these different, um, you know, it, it helps, I think, to just put things in perspective for them to help them understand, because especially like young children, let's be honest, like they kind of think the world revolves around them. And so it helps them to kind of put, it helps to put things in perspective, in perspective for them to kind of understand, you know what, I'm part of a, of a symbiotic system of things that work together. If we didn't have the bees, then we wouldn't have, you know, fruits and vegetables and beautiful flowers and you know, but then if we didn't have fruits and vegetables and beautiful flowers, we wouldn't have bees like they need each yeah. other. And there's just so many things that, um, you know, water, you know, all the things that go yeah. into how do we get, you know, we live on a farm now before we lived in, in the city and we had city water. Now we have a well. And it, it was really interesting, like talking with our kids about, well, here's how they actually dig the well. And here's how they, you know, go hundreds and hundreds of feet down into the ground in order to find the water table and all these kinds of things that my kids are like, wait, what? You know, we're drinking water out of the ground. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we are. I mean, it gets filtered some, but obviously it's not just like straight out of the ground, but it just teaches them that, you know, you're a part of a system. You're one piece Mm -hmm. in a part of a very large complex system. But um, I always go back to, um, I love the concept of the butterfly effect and understanding, you know, the, the, the simple flap of a butterfly's wings has an effect on a large complex system. And, you know, I always kind of tell my kids, I'm like, you're, you're the flap of a butterfly's wings. And that's, you know, it's a, what you do impacts things around you and how you treat others has a ripple effect and how you, you know, the decisions we make when we support, um, you know, the farm down the road, or we adopt a, a barn cat from the shelter that would otherwise have been euthanized, all these things, you're having a ripple effect on the, on the community and the system yeah. around you. Um, yeah. and I love that altruists really is a piece just another piece in that in educating and and fostering those conversations in in families. Thank you. I I hope it can be. I have a really funny little anecdote that I will Please. quote forever because my friend Leah a few months before I started and I was just trying to do research and 
understand what people might want wrapped around this service offering, right? Like how much is helpful in terms of educational content or learning activities. And she was like, listen, I'd have the sex talk with my kids every day because at least I know the answers to that. But like, if they ask me again about climate change, I'm going to lose my mind. I don't, I don't know all the answers. It's terrifying. What do I say to them? And so the idea that we can help provide like in our learning materials, the intro um, section, there's like, you know, 500 to a thousand words on the topic. And then we do fun facts, not so fun facts, answers to tough questions, words to know. Like we try to give a lot of tools to parents to walk through, you know, the truthful, but yet not terrifying um, (laughs) topic at hand. Um, and we also do, we do a lot. This is my, my, one of my sons, Jasper, his absolute favorite part of the box every time is he'll, he'll grab the, um, the second booklet that's provided called connect. And it's about it's empathy building stories. So there are stories of kids, very brief, few sentences each and pictures of kids around the world who experience the issue differently. So here are five or six stories of kids who have not had access to clean water. And this is what their lives are like. And here's why, and here's the intervention that helped. And that now, you know, here's the good news. We always end on the, the good news sort of note. Um, or here are stories of kids who have recently, you know, again, become refugees and what, what happened to them here or been displaced, right? Or here are stories of kids who have experienced food insecurity. What caused that? What's been helpful to them? Here's their school lunch program or the food pantry or government subsidy. What does that look like? So we, we try to provide enough so that it's yeah. not intimidating for parents to crack open that subject yeah. and then something to do with all that inspiration and curiosity and energy afterwards. I mean, like I, there's so much to geek out on around, you know, this, this is about business among other things about purpose. among yeah. I know mostly, but like you look at, I talked about exchanges of value. This is great. Right. We, already, we already have a, a um, an intro on this. So like yeah. you look at the volunteer economy, if you will. So think about this every year in the U S even though 90% of people say they want to volunteer, only about a quarter of us get around to doing so. And yet with that 25-ish percent of people that show up, $300 billion of value is given away mm-hmm. with these beautiful, generous hearts saying, I have this expertise or I have this time, I have this, I can do this labor, whatever it is. People are giving away hundreds of billions of dollars as volunteers. And you think about the exchange of value, right? They want to participate in something bigger than themselves. They have a story in their head that they kind of usually show up with about what it means, why it matters, why they're doing all this. And usually they have to bend over backwards. I mean, it's hard to find opportunities and schedule them. You certainly can't always bring kids along. It's very difficult to do that. But still, people get this done. Who's living in the middle between wonderful nonprofits receiving the benefits of that, those gifts? And those individuals, who's managing at all the volunteer experience, who's connecting and providing a bridge? Like, I want to provide, I want to live in the middle. I want to think about the volunteer experience. I want to try to figure out how to make more catalytic, inspiring bridge, right? Experiences for deeper involvement. So it's a whole whole other thing to talk about, about like living in the middle of this sort of wild west, unmanaged economy, if you will, right? Yeah. Um, And I want to make it a more beautiful and valuable experience for families to start with. But certainly, you know, we've been talking to corporations and others about white label experiences. Like what does it look like to make really special values aligned experiences for remote workforces now? So anyway, lots, lots to talk about there, but that's, that's, I am getting to live yet another version of the dream for me. (laughs) I wake up really passionate about this every day. So thank you for allowing me to talk with you about this in particular. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And I am just I'm just elated to see this out in the world and I cannot wait to see it continue to grow and um, impact 
just thousands, if not millions of people. I were just going to hope and pray. That sounds amazing. We're speaking it into existence, Jessica. Okay. Um, And for the listeners, please go now to altruist.com. A-L-L-T-R-U-I-S-T-S.com. (laughs) Yes, we will. um, I will have all of the links in the show notes um, to all that information and how people can check it out and support. And uh, we will... I'm just, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Okay. (laughs) Jessica, I could be asking you a million other questions, uh, but it's time for the get to know you round. So are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Question number one is what is your current guilty pleasure? Oh, I don't do guilt. So I, (laughs) I love it. I love that answer. You're like, I reject that question. I reject it. But my, my like, the thing you do for yourself with no no guilt, but I love, um, God, I, to be totally honest with you, you know what I'm sneaking away to do? And I'm almost done with it. But um, my husband, I, his latest book, I get I get to read these things before they're out to the world. So I'm like, I have the last two chapters of his book that is coming out in October and it's a biography and it's amazing. And that's my guilty thing right now, but it's not really guilty. It's no. just my sneak away. Mama needs to keep reading Bubba's book. So yeah. that's what I'm doing. And for people who don't know who your husband is. Yes. His name is Reza Aslan. He's written a bunch of books on mostly religions um, and politics. And his latest will be a biography wow. on this amazing man called Howard Baskerville. And I, I believe the title is An American Martyr in Persia. And it's wow. just like cinematic and riveting and so good. And I already know, I've already read it before, but I haven't read the final like wow. into the publisher version. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, that's really exciting. Yeah. I am a yeah. big avid, avid reader, hence all the books behind me. So um, nice. I completely understand that. Yeah. I, I love that you said, I reject, I don't, no guilt. I'm like, I no love guilt. it. Who does guilt? Let's not do it. Yeah. <laughs> It's 2022. We ain't got time for that. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> okay. But I like it. I like the spirit of the question. What's my indulgence? I love it. Go. I love it. Okay. Um, so question number two is what is currently on your most played playlist on like Spotify, Apple music, wherever you choose to listen to music? Oh, unfortunately, not unfortunately music together for my daughter. Um, but also we've been her music education lately is the Beatles. So we are just on oh. repeat and she can, she she actually knows a lot of the lyrics to the um, essentials. So she's, it's really, it's been fun to review that with her. (laughs) I love it. That's, that is fun. My kids are big fans of queen and I'm like, Uh, I have raised my children. Well, (laughs) you're doing something right there. (laughs) And also Johnny cash. They also really like Johnny cash, but it was funny because one time my, my daughter comes down, she's eight and she was like, mommy, um, there are two songs by Johnny cash where he says, hell in them. And I was like, <laughs> she was like, am I allowed to listen to this? Song? I was like, sorry. <laughs> wait, wait. I love this. My son Asa is seven. And two years ago, we were listening to a song and they are cursing left and right. And I'm trying to subtly like suggest another song. And he's like, mama, it's okay. It's art. It's different when it's art. I, I understand. I know we don't say those words, but it's, it's art. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just had I, I I need to tell this story another day. But uh, we my daughter and my son and I had to because they ride the bus. And so I know that they hear things. So we had to have like this whole conversation a couple months ago, like about bad words and yes, what yes, bad yes. words are. And it's just it's just such a funny thing. Like when you have a six and an eight year old who just sitting there like asking the most innocent questions about bad words and like, well, what right. is that? What, what, what is the mean? etymology? No, Why sure. is it a bad word? And I'm just like, oh, gosh, is it? <laughs> I call them, I call them lazy words or angry words. I'm like, come on, you can do better than that. What do you actually mean? Just spell it out. Say more. I don't want to hear just the shortcut, stupid word of, yeah. I love it. Lazy I love words. It. 
<laughs> okay. And then my last question this is the question yeah. I ask all my guests. And that is, yeah. uh, what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? It means being super, super clear on what matters and what matters to me most, what matters second most, what matters third most to, again, clarity on priorities and order of those priorities. Mm, so good. Jessica, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for being here. And thank you for the important work that you're doing in the world. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Did I not tell you Jessica is amazing. My gosh, I love her. This was such a fun conversation. Be sure to turn in to next week's episode as I get to sit down with my dear friend, Stephanie Edwards. Oh, I love when I get the chance to have an actual like real life friend on the show. It's always so much fun. And Stephanie is an inspiration to me. Uh, if you have followed um, our farm account, Sela Farm, our Sela Farm logo was designed by my friend Stephanie and her, her one of her businesses made the sign. And oh man, we had such a great conversation. So be sure to tune in to that. As always, I would love to know what you loved about this episode or something that you learned. Be sure to let me know on social media. You can tag me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and or wherever you are on social media. And don't forget to use that hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your support. Wherever you listen, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Google Podcasts, whatever it's called, <laughs> wherever you're listening to this right now, click that subscribe button, click that follow button and take a moment to leave a review. It really does help me out. It helps the show out and it helps other people to know uh, why they should listen. So as always, thank you so much for your support and thank you to my production team at Third Wheel Media. I couldn't do it without them. Now, thank you so much for listening. And as always, go do something good with purpose on purpose.